Hello and thank you for joining me for the second episode of the Navigating Life podcast with me your host Carol Joy Williams. This is a podcast about life. If you, like me, sometimes feel that you're in the middle of an ocean in a rubber dinghy with no compass, then this is for you. Capacity. What a word. I looked it up and what fascinated me about what I found to be the dictionary definition of the word is the fact that it means both the maximum amount something can contain as well as the amount that something can produce. Capacity is both about containing and about producing. Something to consider as we hear stories of capacity stretched and perhaps exceeded and hopefully some stories of hope for the journey towards personal capacities that are honored and acknowledged and lived into. In the first episode of this podcast, I shared some stories about navigating change, a topic that seemed to hit home for people. And thanks to all of you who shared your feedback with me. In this episode, I want to unpack some stories and thoughts on the topic of navigating our capacity, or perhaps a different way of looking at it would be to answer the question, what do I do with my time, my mind, my emotions, with everything that makes me who I am? How do I spend my energy? What are the pursuits of my heart and mind? In starting to gather content for this episode, I asked a question on my social media. I asked how people make decisions about how they use their time. I asked this question a few different times and had little to no engagement. Now usually I have at least a few people who engage on posts like that. But this was literally like crickets. This was telling for me and I had this niggling suspicion that I wasn't asking the right question. So I decided to take a different approach. When I changed my question to asking a simple yes-no question about whether people felt like they were operating within their personal capacity right now, the engagement was almost immediate. And the results didn't surprise me all that much. 72% of everyone replied no to that question. I also started asking for people to share stories of burnout with me. The responses came quickly and there were so many people who shared stories about their experiences of burnout, like this one from Renee, a South African teaching in Korea. Uh, I experienced burnout a lot, especially when I was teaching in South Africa. Since coming to Korea, I've become a lot more adamant about my work-life balance. I purposely look for jobs that allow me to have my freedom after hours. I'm also very strict with myself, or I try to be, when it comes to time management. But one thing I've learned over the last few years is also to give myself a lot more grace than I have in the past. I can only do what I can do when I can do it, and that's okay. As people continued to share their stories of burnout with me, I realized I'd hit the jackpot. Someone else shared a story of how burnout impacted them early last year. He describes having an experience in a meeting where his mind literally disconnected from reality and it turned out that unbeknownst to him, he'd been having panic attacks for a few months before that. Now you might hear that and think surely someone would know that they were having a panic attack. I hear you and would probably agree, except that my own story is exactly the same. 
A few years ago, when I learned that what I was experiencing on a pretty regular basis were panic attacks, I was stunned. I'd lived with quite a high level of anxiety for so many years that I didn't even know that how I was experiencing life was not normal or how it had to be. I also became more aware of the fact that burnout was a real thing, like you could look it up on the internet and find a list of symptoms. I mean, I never knew. We never get taught this stuff, and if anything, the general culture and what we see modeled all the time of work hard, play hard, get more that we're surrounded with doesn't provide much in the way of boundaries or knowledge on these things. In fact, we are actually rewarded for this lifestyle, often through bonuses or even just being made to feel grateful to have a job. Someone commented on one of my posts, been there, definitely feel like I'm close to it again, but never seem to be able to pull myself back. I hear you. Man, I hear you. I'm still in the middle of this particular lesson. I think this is one of the most complex things to deal with in our current times. Exhaustion is real. The mental health issues are real. The health issues in general are real. And I just want to say that wherever you find yourself in the space, there is no judgment and probably a lot more people in the same shoes than we even realize. Perhaps the reason that people were not engaging with my question about time is because many people are already feeling so exhausted and probably a little bit guilty. Or like someone said when replying to one of my Instagram stories asking for stories about burnout, too burnt out to say much coherent about burnout. One of the reasons I love stories and sharing stories so much is the innate possibility in stories for us to see ourselves and to perhaps feel less alone. My heart in finding and sharing stories of burnout and the more encouraging ones where people have come out stronger on the other side is to really offer a space and time in this crazy world we live in for us to stop and pause, to think and consider, to be still and know that there are options and that more than anything, this is a complex thing to engage with. But perhaps if it means we lead less stressed and more connected lives, then this pondering and engagement will be worth it. I asked my friend Ali to share her journey of burnout with me for this podcast. She's a close friend who is also a creative entrepreneur and we have been having this ongoing conversation over the last few years. Ali and her husband Brad run a children's book publishing house, Imaginary House, here in Cape Town. It's like there are some innate things in our makeup that has made our journey often so similar and I have found her wisdom and vulnerability such a gift. I wouldn't say I'm an expert at burnout, but I definitely know what it is. And I'm definitely learning about how to deal with it, how to hopefully prevent it happening again. And yeah, I think more just learning about myself. I think burnout isn't necessarily learning about burnout, but learning about my own capacity. That being said, I think capacity is something that changes throughout life. And I think that capacity is something that is affected by health, work, family, relationships, spiritual life. It's not just one thing. 
And sometimes I believe God gives us capacity for more, but I also believe that sometimes seasons we have low capacity and that doesn't mean that we're less than it just means that it's a time for rest i think i can compare it to just a cell phone and just when you charge charge your phone your battery does eventually run out and sometimes it it's yeah it runs out completely and we need to let it charge before it even functions at all and sometimes it runs out a little and we just need a little extra charge, like an hour or two. And I think as humans, we are similar to that. I think what I'm learning about is that I don't let my battery run completely down because I think it is a lot harder and it takes a lot longer to charge. My first job was the epitome of burnout. I cried a lot. I had to stay late. I even collapsed at work from exhaustion. And I think a part of that was like a training and a training to just work hard all the time. And if I remember hearing from my boss that if I really want this job, I'll prove it. And by that, he was meaning staying late at night and yeah, um, getting takeouts at work, getting home at midnight, coming back to work at 8 a.m. And um, yeah, at the time, that was my only reference to what work was like. So I just assumed this is something I need to get used to. And yeah, fast forward to now running our own business. My husband and I run our own business. Before that, I ran another um, business and I think in that process I, I've some of these bad habits have clicked in like for instance when I send an email I expect a response really quickly and I wouldn't say this out loud too often and I'm even scared to say it now but that is part of my expectation but my expectation needs to change and that's not how the world works and it's not how the world should work um and by the world i'm not meaning industries because that is how industries work but some industries but what i'm finding so refreshing and especially in the publishing space is that it doesn't need to be like that with correct planning um with correct assessment of my capacity it doesn't have to always be rush, rush, rush. And I think that's been one of the biggest learning curves for me. And to be honest, it's also been working with a counsellor to break some of those habits. Um, working with my counsellor, working with our business coach. Um, yeah, it's it's a habit and it's, it's not it's not productive because all it means is that you go through seasons of working hard and then the seasons of being burnt out or just having zero capacity, being tired, being exhausted, struggling to write an email, those seasons start to last longer. And that's, we don't want that. Because um, it's not healthy, it's not even fun, because we actually designed to enjoy life. Why have we built it into our mind that we have to be struggling, we have to be busy 24-7? Because it's not 
That's not the case. So often we link capacity to output, like physical output or hours in the day, when actually capacity is so much more than that. So when you are doing something that you enjoy, you may have more capacity for it. Whereas when you're doing the admin and the day-to-day, that's where you have less capacity. And and also when it comes to hard conversations, conversations with friends, conversations with family, your partner, it's assessing your capacity in that space as well. And I think, yeah, it's kind of become this thing where we track our steps, we track all these things. But we're not actually just stopping and going, do I have the energy to do this? Also, why am I doing this? Am I doing it for others? Which is important, but you also need to manage how much you're doing for others versus how much you're doing for yourself to fill yourself up. I love what Ali says about the fact that learning about burnout is really a journey of self-discovery and learning about yourself not just learning about the symptoms and causes of burnout. Capacity is also multifaceted and in different times in our lives, our capacities will change, ebb and flow. The other thing is that often our work culture is fraught. And you know what? If you're not from South Africa, let me just tell you that fraught is uh, something that we use to describe when like fruit is really off and, um, you know, when it's like moldy and gross. Anyway, our work culture is broken, in other words, and this is systemic. We have to take care not to repeat these bad habits we've been exposed to. Did you know that the older millennial generation is turning 39 this year? That's right. For all of you who make snide comments about cool millennials, we're just here busy managing early middle age. And despite common banter about this generation, many of us care about more than just flat whites and fun vacays these days. We've lived through some seriously rough economic times, and especially those of us on the older end of the millennial spectrum. We grew up without technology, but are working in a world where this is changing all the time. Like the job I do now didn't exist when I studied. The amount of change that we have all had to undergo is tremendous because we have had to try and establish ourselves and our careers during one of the biggest shifts in modern history. The world most of our parents and education prepared us for doesn't exist. And so, and maybe, I'm just speaking for myself here, it feels like we're constantly on this crash course of learning and adapting, and it's exhausting. My next story comes from one of these older millennials. In fact, he will be celebrating his 39th birthday in May. Ray is a software developer in the corporate world and experienced serious burnout last year. I think his story highlights some of these systemic issues that we face and why burnout is such a widely experienced thing these days. My name is Ray and I'm a software developer for a consulting company called Intellect. Um, they've got various corporate clients like one of us, Africa. Previously worked um, uh, at, at a smaller set of companies like uh, uh, have found my way into like uh, there should be corporates. 
and they are they are slightly more like challenging but also more rewarding like opportunities like in that space uh, but i also find that it's actually a little bit more more competitive so i find that i i have less times uh once uh, like since actually like embarking on like on this space so there definitely is more more pressure on you to like perform and you you, you face more competition so uh other uh, like developers and themselves like, like in like in a smaller companies like you never do find themselves there and you, you and you can find yourself bumping head with those kind of people uh you know like trying to go trying to get up the actual ladder etc etc so it's um interesting but also quite challenging but um uh, definitely more rewarding than uh than being like in a smaller company I find myself burning out last year uh wasn't fun at all um um so at the time I, I was a I was consulting uh, there by there by old mutual and I'm still there. Or we were building at the time uh, like the new versions of uh, of our old mutual's uh, new um, new public web new website. And then I was on the team that was managing the the actual old one. They tried to get me to like uh, to like switch over to the new team that was building the new stuff. But there was just so much pressure on the old stuff. Uh, that uh, each time that they tried to bring me over to the new stuff, uh, something would break and I would be forced back. So they eventually said, you know what, you stay in that old team, uh, manage it, run it, um, and you do put all the fires and make sure that everything is fine. Uh, most of the work uh, was usually on my shoulders, so it was uh, quite intense. I found myself around uh, August, September last year. That's when I that's when I, I actually burned out. It took three months off uh, for me to, to fully recover uh i've come back uh, i noticed that i am a lot more relaxed since i t- I, t- I took like this um like my three months break um and i feel good you know um i'm a lot calmer and uh uh think a lot clearer etc etc um so i mean like like if i would give um advice uh to anybody who's uh suffered burnout um is if you can like take time there is no substitute for like a break what stands out to me from ray's story is that burnout is not something that is particular to a group of people it's not something that affects maybe women more or people in corporate more or people who have their own businesses more it's something that seems to be pretty pervasive i guess what i've been grappling with and trying to unpack is how we got here And how do we navigate life moving forward? I, for one, don't want to live the rest of my life feeling tired and like I have brain fog. Although I've experienced working in mental health, I'm interested in the stories here and sharing my own personal story and sharing people's experiences. So please do remember that this is more of a storytelling podcast and not necessarily a fact-based podcast, although... Hopefully I'm not sharing any fake news, but I'd like to encourage you to do your own research or even better, reach out to a professional if you need more professional advice on this topic. I'm also hoping that wherever you find yourself in this, that you will feel seen and heard and encouraged to take steps towards a healthier life. More on that after the What the Beep is going on in the world segment up next. Welcome to this part of the podcast, the What the Beep is Going On in the World segment. Now, usually I'm joined by Ulrich in Japan, our Japanese correspondent. Unfortunately, he was unable to join us for this, but 
Never Fear. I've got a stand-in correspondent and he is coming to you all the way from Belleville, Cape Town, which is not quite the same as Japan. But joining me is Jason Skippers. Thank you so much for coming on, Jason, and agreeing to do the segment with me. It's awesome to have you. Jason is my business partner, for those of you who don't know, and he is uh, he puts up with a lot of rubbish from me. So... Uh, yeah, thanks for letting me rope you into this segment. So, in this segment, both of us have found a ridiculous news story of something that's going on in the world, um, kind of in the past few weeks. And neither of us know the story that the other one is going to share. So, it's kind of like all, you know, it's all news to us kind of thing. So, I'm going to start with mine and uh, and then we'll go to you, Jason. So, um, this one really made me laugh because you'd think that, you know, after a whole year of lots of meetings on Zoom, that we would kind of know our Zoom etiquette by now. But um, in the news this week, one of um, a Canadian parliament member was caught naked on a virtual meeting um, of the House of Commons. <laughs> Um, apparently, uh, he didn't know that his camera was on and um, he was changing for work after a jog and, you know, was clearly black right in the middle of getting changed and uh, got caught on camera. Um, he has apologized and he said, this was an unfortunate error. My video was accidentally turned on as I was changing into my work cl- clothes after going for a jog, I sincerely apologize to my colleagues for this unintentional distraction. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, Jason. I think it's probably a bit more than an unintentional distraction seeing your colleague completely naked. Well, I don't know if it's a distraction. I think it's more trauma. I mean, <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't planning to... I mean, if you want to see the full moon, you wait, you know, until a specific day on the calendar. <laughs> Not, not, not. You put on your switch on your Zoom, preparing for a serious meeting to see uh, these things. I mean, so so was he completely naked? Like, so what it says. Fortunately, it says that is there was a well positioned cell phone, which kind of saved some stuff, but you know, didn't leave much to the imagination, according to this article. I, I, I have a bit of a naughty streak, so I'm, I'm just going to just venture a little bit here. So a well-positioned cell phone, what are you doing with a cell phone that's positioned in a particular place and you're getting changed? <laughs> you're <laughs> Jason. There's no, no, the, the logic doesn't make sense. So either the writer is being quite creative, but like if he's changing out of his workout clothes, just one of the cycling, jogging clothes, put your phone down, bro. Get done. Yeah, Ch- change your clothes. But why true. do you have your phone? Why Are you, you like know, texting? Yeah. Are you texting you know? while working, while... Changing, I don't know. I agree. I think there might be some holes in the story. Yeah, not only has he contravened the 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 online Zoom etiquette, he's contravened the dressing, getting dressed. Etiquette. Yeah, it's put like, your phone down. Put your phone dressed. down. I know it's like I don't know. He needs one of those those dressing songs that you use for kids, where you like, <laughs> you know, you like help them go stepwise through everything that they need to put on. I feel like he needs to go back to that stage. <laughs> Put your phone down, put your phone down, put on sock, put on sock, I don't know. Yeah, put on your underpants, I don't know, like just even just start with that. All right, Jason, please do share your crazy story from the world. Um, That was from Canada. Where are we crossing to with you? We are crossing to Poland. Oh, um, Poland, okay. And my deep love for food. So, it says here, mystery animal 
in trees, in trees, sorry, turns out to be a croissant. <laughs> Gosh. So, so, so this what the lady, heck? It's a lady, this, the article says a woman in Krakow, Poland or Krakow, mm. I think it's Krakow, mm. um, had a, quite a fright when she saw what looked like a bizarre animal that had been hanging in the lilac tree outside her home for a few days. <laughs> so, so, so that means the croissant has been there for a few days. Scary. And then the woman, so she called the police because she thought it might be an iguana. Easy, um, easy, it, oh, you know, mistake to make. You know, because iguanas come in a particular... And look you know, a lot like croissants, yeah. Mm, exactly, brown iguanas like that. And so she called the police. And then obviously when the officers showed up to the scene, I mean, they were... Able to, the, the way this article writes it, they say um, the, the writer says they were able to nab the mystery animal bread-handed. <laughs> oh, um, <gosh. laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess my question is like, as a as a police officer, like, what, what do you feel like climbing up a tree to rescue a croissant? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a croissant in distress. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I mean, you get back to the the police station and they're like, "So, uh, what did you do today?" No, we rescued a croissant mm, from a tree. Mm, mm. I mean, maybe maybe that's something to aspire to. You know, to to live in a place that that's kind of what makes the news is like misidentified food items in trees. I don't know. That does sound a bit bizarre. It also sounds to me like that lady might need some help with identifying animals. <laughs> And foodstuffs, you know, it's like, no, that is not a pineapple, that's a frog. I don't know. I mean, it's, I guess the options are endless with that. No, that's true. 100%. I mean, I'm looking at the picture in front of me now, and nothing about it says iguana. It says ginger cat, though, um, potentially. Um, without the, like, yeah. if you're going to, if you're going to confuse this, mm. maybe like, it's maybe a ginger cat. Yes. <laughs> Well, that's little that just doesn't move I agree forever, but, I agree but an iguana iguana yeah no, so that's, specific, that's pretty next level awesome well thanks Jason for joining me for this segment and um, I really appreciate you stepping in once again and maybe you can give us like a colloquial farewell from Belleville as you sign off um, a polite one please a polite one <laughs> Oh man, you got me! Oh, so really. So Can't I'm say, say anything about someone's mommy, Jason. No. Well, I was gonna say, I'll just say, away masakin. There's it. Um, There's it. Away yes. masakin. Okay, cool. Catch you soon. Bye. I hope that was a good reminder that laughter is sometimes the best medicine. Not to oversimplify things, but sometimes a good laugh really does do wonders. I was reading a really interesting article published a couple of years ago on why the millennial generation has been dubbed the burnout generation. And something so interesting came up in it. And whether or not you're technically part of this generation, I think if you spend enough time in the world of work, you will also see that this is the pervasive idea. And that idea is that we as human beings are a product that our value is in the amount of work and productivity we can do, the way we optimize everything. Us optimizing ourselves gets praised. And don't even get me started on perfection. I'm not brave enough to do a podcast on perfectionism just yet. But the truth is we don't do well with imperfection and we are often able to just put a plaster on something while the wound continues to fester. So self-care has become a very trendy word, 
But the thing is that having a spa day or taking a holiday doesn't quite cut it when your soul and body is deeply affected by burnout, by being a product, by needing to optimize on every single second of every single day. Personal branding, being an influencer are all fairly new things. Even outside of this, I guess, professional space, we're encouraged to brand ourselves. And while there is nothing wrong with this, I mean, I often find myself in these spaces. I would say that this is something that we need to interrogate a little bit more. I think these are the subtle messages and ideas that have become part of how we view ourselves in the world that we live in. It's how we're able to see ourselves and perhaps other people as commodities rather than human beings. How can we move from merely viewing life from a lens of how much we can optimize it but really towards something more about how we can actually live it. How sad it would be if we get to old age, I mean, if that's like possible even for us and stress hasn't killed us off, and look back and just have a plethora of to-do lists that we've, you know, done and accolades that we've managed to accumulate. Now, at this stage, you may be thinking to yourself, well, this is all fine and well, and it's not part of, you know, something I haven't really considered before. Another friend of mine shared with me how difficult this thing is to have balance, especially because many workplaces have unhealthy work culture. And in order to survive there, one has to adapt or be replaced. And when that means threatening things like income and being able to provide for your family, this becomes almost impossible to consider. And really, please hear my heart. I'm not wanting to heap more guilt on you. Perhaps it's more of an invitation to personal honesty. It's okay to admit that you feel overwhelmed or constantly tired or brain foggy or cranky or hopeless that things could ever be different. It's that place of honesty that can be the genesis of new things. I think the lie of self-sufficiency and needing to be self-sufficient in everything is perhaps rooted in a belief system that somehow I should know this stuff and not be struggling. Perhaps it'll be seen as weakness or perhaps I won't get the response or help I need and the risk of that feels too big. But in learning how to be more human and kind, I think that we need to extend this kindness to ourselves and to others, especially in this space. I love how Ali reflected on her own journey of recognizing that she wants immediate replies to her emails. I find myself in the same boat, especially if someone doesn't run at the same pace as me. Of course we need to get stuff done, but what I'm learning is that when I work within my capacity, I'm actually more productive and not less so. Perhaps it's also good to remember that we're surrounded by natural rhythms and can learn so much from this. We have four seasons, for example. Each season is necessary for different things. And so I guess what I'm getting from this is that nothing natural was designed to operate like a machine. There are ebbs and flows to things, and there are ebbs and flows that we experience as humans. With that production, perfection, productivity mindset, we're taught or conditioned to ignore these things. I'm only starting on my journey of learning how to listen to my body. I remember when I first started working, I never took a sick day, even when my eardrum burst and I couldn't hear for weeks because I didn't want to be seen as lazy and not contributing. I felt so guilty for needing to take time off. I could have lost my hearing in one ear because of that, and I'm so grateful that I didn't, 
and if that were to happen again, I would feel nothing taking a few days off to recover. And to me, this shows immense growth and progress in my journey. So I guess the question is, where to from here? Perhaps it's acknowledging that the world will keep turning if you take a day off. That to-do lists very rarely get done. And so I don't need to do it all today. It's such a relief to realize that it's not all up to me. And also, it's sometimes hard to let go of feeling very important and needed. An idea that a friend Marilee shared with me that I absolutely love and want to try is to make two lists. One list of the things that drain you and another one of the things that fill you up. Once you know this, then it's a lot easier to make space and time for both of these things. To be honest, I've struggled to put this podcast together and I've been wondering about why that's so. I mean, this is something that I love doing. And then I thought about my last few weeks and I realized that I think this is possibly where the problem lies. The last few weeks, I've been stuck doing loads of admin in my business, something that is essential, but also such a drain on my capacity and probably led to this brain foggy feeling. I've realized I need to be more intentional about this moving forward. And honestly, it's something that I know to make space in my week for creative endeavors. But I guess I'm still learning to prioritize this as much as I prioritize sending out invoices. Sometimes it's not about having too much on your plate, but having too many things that sap your energy. Perhaps it's acknowledging the seasonal nature of life and adjusting expectations, both of yourself and of others and of your circumstances. You are not designed to run a sprint from the day you're born to the day you die, and your capacity changes at different times in life. This is normal and necessary. You are not your work. You are far more complex and wonderful than that. Personally, I've had to learn a lot about boundaries in my quest of living more within my capacity. As a people pleaser, I've really had to learn to say no. It's uncomfortable, but it's essential. And the more you practice, the better you get. It's not hard to say no to things that you wouldn't want to do, but it is really difficult to say no to fun things or good things even. Learning that sometimes you have to say no to many things so that you can say yes to the right thing is really important. Learning that sometimes you have to say no to so many things that you would like to do and even enjoy or be good at is hard but worthwhile. Perhaps it's a smaller friendship circle where friendships are deeper and more connected because there is more time. Perhaps it's about having less stuff so that there's less financial strain. Perhaps it's being more conscious about the systemic nature of this burnout culture and deciding not to contribute to it where you have power to do so. Perhaps it's also learning more about where your clothes and food come from. Again, this is not always possible, but perhaps it's even moving towards these things that will make all the difference. It may be as simple as learning to recognize and manage stress. Do you sleep enough? Do you nourish your body well? Also, let's not underestimate the stress of financial insecurity, especially over an extended period of time. 
for that one, I don't have any answers yet. And honestly, this is still something I'm actively working on in my life. The reality for many of us is that income is strained. But even so, what can I do to live a good life now? Living within my means as far as possible. And I realize that this is a lot easier said than done. Perhaps you're in a situation where you felt disempowered for a really long time. This is another breeding ground of burnout. And this can be a tricky one because maybe you don't feel like you're working too hard, but the prolonged feeling of disempowerment will leave you feeling less than for sure. Perhaps you've been in a relational conflict for a really long time. This can also be a source of burnout. And I guess the question there is, are you accepting something that you don't have to? There are many complexities within both of these and the very real elements of possible power dynamics at play in our everyday lives cannot be ignored. But where possible, what is in your hands? And if you're in a position of power, which most of us are in some way, by the way, what are you doing with it? Are you treating people as humans with different capacities or are you trying to optimize them and exploit them for your own benefit? Some tough things to get honest about here. Something that I've been reading a lot about and starting to practice is this idea of Sabbath. Whether or not you're a person of faith, I think there is wisdom in this. Sabbath is the idea that we rest for one day a week from anything that is work or toil, a rest from to-do lists and productivity time to connect to God with your loved ones and yourself. I've been inspired by John Mark Comer's book, The Relentless Elimination of Harry. His family takes a whole day off every week and they switch off all their screens. They enjoy nature, times with God, long and lazy meals with friends and so on. Now, if that doesn't sound good, I don't know what does. As Ellie quoted in her story, Let's be more intentional about creating lives that we don't need to escape from on a regular basis. This is a tough one and you will find yourself swimming upstream. I'd also like to acknowledge that there is a lot of injustice involved in the systems that we find ourselves in. And sometimes this is not a personal quest, but there are systemic things that do need to change. I guess that my encouragement and my hope is that where possible, we can make the changes that we can and see what else grows from there. I'm learning to lean in and learn how to do things differently because we're here, we're in it for better or for worse. And my hope for all of us is that we will find true north and enjoy the beauty of the quest. Thank you for listening. Please do subscribe to my channel and share this with your friends and family. I'd like to thank Jason for helping me with the technical production of this and with what the beep is going on in the world. You would have heard some original music in this podcast as well. I've started writing soundtracks for this podcast, which I will make available at a later stage. I'd like to close this episode with a poem from a dear friend of mine, Kambani Romano, one of my most favorite poets and definitely someone you should know about if you don't already. I asked Kambani to do a reading of one of my favorite poems of his, For You Are Very Precious to God. You can find Kambani at www.kambaniromano.com and hopefully you will be able to buy an anthology of his work very soon. For you are very precious to God.
Be gentle with yourself and with the earth. Selah. When it seemed as though the months had outlived winter, instead of warm came snow. Again the sky was iron with cold. The climb towards spring's hearth was sleep deranged and slush. Had the south drifted from the sun's feet? Had we cursed dawn stores of kindling, night's oven, salty sleep? Determined to bake towers, we left the ox of wisdom behind in the field, to be ploughed by the seasons, ripened in the fullness of time, to tend to the seed. Selah. Be gentle with yourself and with the earth. For you are very precious to God.